Amen. I, and I invite you to get your Bible out. I want to preach a message today I've entitled, Thanks Be to God. You know, I was thinking about um, this reality that in, in the American culture, you know, it's the season of Thanksgiving, and we think about thankfulness and gratitude and all of that. And, and in the American culture, like, we make much of those magic words, please and thank you. Like, if you have kids, you, you, you know, like, I, I don't know why this is, but man, that, that's like down the middle of the road of, of American Christianity. Like, we teach please and thank you. I can remember when our oldest daughter, Morgan, was, was just, just little. I mean, she was in one of those little, like, uh, seats that you crawl around the linoleum tile floor in, you know, and, and, and I mean, we would tell her, you know, we'd go to hand her a little biter biscuit, you know, and, and we'd say, what do you say? What do you say? And she would always go, peace, peace, peace. Like, I thought, this kid's gonna be an advocate for world peace. Like, this is awesome. Like, and then when we'd give it to her, then right away, it's, what do you say? What do you say? And she'd say, can't you? Can't you? Like, she couldn't even say it yet, but she understood. Like, if you want something, you say, please. And if you receive something, you say, Thank you, and, and, and so that's just so much a part of our culture. I thought, boy, I, I'm just gonna find the verses in the New Testament uh, that, that tell us that we should say thank you to other believers because, I mean, that's just something we all do. And so I began to look as I was preparing for today and, and as I'm studying through the word of God, do you know how many verses in the New Testament I found that actually tell us we should say thank you to each other? None. I know, I questioned everything about my childhood in that moment. So then I was like, okay, well, let me find the examples. Let me find the biblical examples of one Christian saying thank you to another Christian. You wanna know how long that list is? One, that's it. One verse in the whole New Testament that, that shows us one Christian saying thank you to another Christian. I'll give you the verse. It's going to be a short sermon maybe, but here it is. Romans 16, 3. Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. That's it. That's the verse. That's the only time I could find Christians being grateful to other Christians. It gets worse. Some of you are going to have to rethink your parenting after this. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus uses as an example the fact that we don't say thank you. Like, here's what he says. It says in Luke 17, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant who's plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that, you may eat and drink? Verse nine, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And every Christian American mom says, yes, he will. <laughs> he most certainly will. You better. It's the Christian thing to do. 
But what is Jesus? It's rhetorical. He doesn't answer the question, but he's getting to a point. He's like, are you going to say thank you? Then verse 10, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. In other words, his point is, don't expect gratitude. Don't expect thanks. Would you thank him? Of course not. And, and you shouldn't expect thanks either. Now, let me pause right here and say, I hope you don't leave early. If you're watching online, please don't, please don't disconnect from us here because my message today is not that we should be rude. My message is not that we shouldn't have manners. My message today is not, you know, stop, stop thanking people. Just, just stop thanking people. That's not my message today. But before you just assume that my Bible search engine is broken, let me tell you why we don't see Christians saying thank you to Christians in the New Testament. It has everything to do with the culture. They lived in a group culture. We live in a very individualistic culture, like very individualistic society. And it's evident even by the fact that most of you have your own copy of the Bible sitting on your lap. Like if they wanted to hear the word of God, they literally had to be with the people of God to hear the word of God. But you've all got your own copies. You've got them on your devices. You've got them uh, leather bound and, and hardback. And you got your zipper covered version. And yeah, you got the family Bible on the coffee table. But they lived in a group culture. And so the, the New Testament was written in the context of a group culture. So understand this if you were a part of a group or a family, that meant you were completely dependent on that group for everything your possessions your safety, your honor, your family name, they all belong to all of you together, not individually. So, so things were, were just expected in a group culture. Your loyalty was expected. Your support of the community had to exist between the members in the group. So it was unnecessary to say thank you because it was assumed that you're going to live your gratitude, not just say it. Your loyalty to the group was expected. It's kind of like this. Like people in a group culture, they think of themselves like a team. Like imagine, imagine this afternoon you're watching, you're watching the football game. And the quarterback gets under center, under the center, and, and he, he, he calls the snap like, ready, go. The center snaps him the ball, and he says, thank you. And then he comes over here and he tosses it to the running back and the running back gets it and he goes, thank you. And then he turns around, it's a flea flicker. He tosses it back and the quarterback says, thank you. And he runs over here and he fires it down the sideline to the wide receivers going, thank you. Like, like we don't see that. That doesn't happen. Why? Because they understand like this ball is my ball as much as it is your ball. That goal is my goal as much as it is your goal. We're all working to get there together. We're working as a team. We're unified towards a vision. There's no need for us to continually thank each other back and forth because we're all working towards the same end. So, so some of you are like going, I know I read scriptures that said thanks. <laughs> like, I, I, know, I know there's gotta be a catch to what he's saying. Let me tell you when you do see thank you in the New Testament. Saying thank you in a group culture was actually about recognizing 
a position of authority. Saying thank you in a group culture was about honoring someone's importance. So, so you don't see group members saying thank you to each other, but when somebody with more authority walks in the room, it changes. Then they would offer gratitude for what that person does for them, and they would usually do it publicly because when they were giving honor, they, they were acknowledging that, that I'm subordinate to you. I, I don't deserve your benevolence. I don't deserve your kindness, but you're showing it to me, and so my, my payment is my public expression of gratitude. And we see that a few places, like Acts 24, where King Felix is actually shown gratitude. But again, he's a higher authority. And so they're, they're showing him thanks and gratitude. So expressing gratitude, it was showing culturally, I'm powerless and I'm unworthy of your favor. And it says, but you, you're the giver, you have the power, you, have, uh, you are benevolent, and so you deserve my praise. So here's what you have to understand. When you look at the Bible, gratitude is about more than manners. It's about worship. It's an act of self-denial and a recognition of a higher authority. Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful. I'm not saying we shouldn't say thank you to each other and that you shouldn't teach your kids good manners. I, I trust you have the wisdom to, to, to teach your kids good manners. What I want you to do, though, is I want you to see gratitude through a biblical lens, and that begins by understanding the culture of the people that it was written to. Like, for example, let me give you an example. Jesus, uh, at one place in, in Luke chapter 17, he cleansed 10 lepers. How many of you remember that story? 10 men came to Jesus. They, they were all lepers, and, and he healed them with his word, and he sent them to the high priest to, to show themselves to, to be validated that they were, in fact, clean and that they could return to society. And, and that story says that only one of them came back to say thanks. Luke 17, verse 16 says of the one leper, it says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? And you know what we do? We take that story and we teach it to our kids and we say, you shouldn't be like those nine people that didn't say thank you. We wanna be like the one. We should always say thanks, right? Because that's good manners, that's polite, and that's a good lesson, and I don't fault you for using it, but I want you to know, in this moment, Jesus was not concerned with this man's manners. That was not at all what bothered him in the story. His concern for the other nine was their lack of worship. It wasn't about manners. Look at the next verse. Jesus says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? So, so the expectation of civility between peers is not the point at all. Giving thanks is about recognizing that you are powerless, you are unworthy, and yet you are a recipient. You are a benefactor of his goodness, of his kindness. And Jesus says, there ought to be more than one person giving God praise for the thing you couldn't do for yourself, but he did for you today. Let me give you another example. Jesus told a parable to communicate that thanks that is giving 
just as, as a trite statement or, or thanks that is given uh, from a place of pride and not humility is unacceptable gratitude. In Luke chapter 18, verse nine says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Here's the story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. In other words, a Pharisee is the most religious person in the community, tax collector, bottom of the barrel citizen. Nobody likes tax collectors in this culture because they were Jews, but they were working for Rome. And so he, he paints this picture, spiritual guy, degenerate sinner. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this guy over here, like he's praying this out loud. He said, I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of all I get. You know, he's like waving his offering envelope before he puts it in the bucket. He's like, everybody see this. But the tax collector, it says, stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this Pharisee is saying, thank God, but he's doing it to boast. He's doing it to, to puff out his chest and, and show everybody how spiritual he is. And there's a powerful lesson that Jesus communicates in this story, and it's simply this. You can't be thankful and boastful at the same time. You, you can't. You can't genuinely have a heart of gratitude and at the same time be declaring your own independence and self-reliance. So what do we find in the New Testament about thanks? What you find is thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Over and over and over. We see verses like this one in Philippians chapter one, verse three, where Paul writes to the church, I thank my God every time I remember you. In fact, he makes statements like that in all of his letters. It's not that he's not thankful, but when he thinks about them, his thanks goes to God. And it's not that he wasn't thankful. I mean, he goes on, if you read that letter, and Paul no doubt appreciates the Philippian church. He talks about how they supported his ministry, how they prayed for him, how, how, how they partnered with him in the ministry. And I, I was trying to disprove what I was finding this week, and I went to the last chapter of Philippians, and, and in my Bible, the heading of chapter four in Philippians says, thanks for their gifts. And I'm like, here it comes. I, I, I've studied this before. This is Paul's thanks to the church for supporting his ministry. I'm gonna find a good Christian thank you in chapter four. I got to verse 10, and he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So that was almost a thank you. We're getting close. Read a little farther. Down in verse 14, he says, yet it was good of you 
to share in my troubles. And that's about as close as we get. It was good of you. That's as close as you get to a Christian thank you to others who are just doing the things that God has called us in the community of faith to do. It was good of you. And then after that, he goes on to describe how if they had not supported him, nobody would have supported him on his first trip to Macedonia. He talks about how indebted he was uh, to their kindness, but ultimately, for all of this, his thanks go straight to God. And at the end of the chapter, he says in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. So what am I saying this morning? I'm saying that in this season of thanksgiving, biblical gratitude is far more than civility. It's far more than manners. It's about recognizing that we are indebted to a benevolent father. It's about recognizing what James, the brother of Jesus, understood when he wrote in chapter one and verse 17 of his letter, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every gift. That's an all-inclusive statement. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. How could he say every gift is from God? He could say it because he understood the revelation David had when he wrote Psalm 24 in verse 1 that says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. So David understood all of creation belongs to God. Every creature belongs to God. It all came from him. It all belongs to him. And here's the reality. Time would not permit me this morning to show you all the scriptures in the New Testament where people give thanks to God. There's just way too many of those. But what I do want to do is, in the time we have left, I just quickly want to show you five times that this statement specifically is made. Thanks be to God. And I hope today that, that you, would, you would have a heart of gratitude, that yes, you would show appreciation to others, but even in the kindness and the goodness of other people in your life, you would lift your eyes to the place of saying, every good thing in my life is Father filtered. Every blessing I have came down from the Father of heavenly lights. So I wanna show you five places in the New Testament where we see this statement, thanks be to God. If you're a note taker, these all start with S. The first one is thanks be to God for salvation. Romans chapter six, verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. What is Paul saying? He's saying I'm a different person. Like I, I used to follow the pattern of sin, but by, I have a new allegiance now. My allegiance is to the righteousness of Christ. And, and if we had time to study the rest of chapter six in Romans, you'd see that, that Paul goes on to explain the benefits that come from my old allegiance, the benefits that come from being a slave to sin. He's, you're ashamed of your actions. You were sick in your body, in your emotions. Some of you can remember not too long ago what your life looked like when you were a slave to sin. It created toxic relationships, you had no peace, you blew through your money and you couldn't remember how. And then he goes and he says, but there's, there's benefits, there are blessings that come with this new allegiance to righteousness. 
Your life is better. You have more integrity. You have peace in your heart. You have peace in your mind. You have peace with God. And by the way, he says, one of the benefits of all this is you have eternal life. And so he ends chapter six, this whole discourse about the blessing of having an allegiance to the righteousness of Christ with this verse we often quote, Romans 6, 23. He says, for the wages of sin, that old life, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he makes this incredible declaration, thanks be to God for that. Anybody thankful you've been saved? I mean, come on, can we just stop and give God some praise today for salvation? That, that he set us free? You, you ought to declare your freedom. That's what we're doing when we declare, thanks be to God for saving my soul. We recognize I couldn't have done it on my own. I am undeserving of your grace and your favor. But you loved me and you sent your son. I'm a new creation in Christ. The second time we see this phrase, thanks be to God, it's thanks for sanctification. That's a good Bible word. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but let me give you the verse. Romans 7.25 says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. What's he talking about? I mean, he says in chapter 6, I'm saved. And can I just say, if you're saved, you're all the way saved. No, nobody's half saved today, all right? You're either lost or found. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, or you are alive in Christ. That's how he sees you. You're either, uh, you're either on the earth spiritually, or you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, it's one or the other. You can't be half saved. But if you are saved, you could testify today to the reality that even though you're fully saved, you're still not fully everything God wants you to be. You still struggle with sin. And that's where Paul goes in Romans chapter 7. He begins to explain this struggle that every Christian faces. It's the tension between the reality that I'm fully saved from my sin, but I still struggle with a sinful nature because I still live in a human body. And so he begins in this chapter to unpack what that feels like. In Romans 7, verse 15, Paul says uh, very honestly and transparently, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree. The law is good. In other words, he's like, you know, I, I acknowledge the fact that it, it's, it's good that we have laws because I'd break them. <laughs> like, if, if the sign didn't say 55, God knows I'd be doing 105. Like, the law's good, and I'm evidence of that because I keep breaking the law. But then he goes on, and he says in verse 17, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do these things. It is the sin that's living in me. For I know the good itself. Uh, I, I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And can I just say, there are some people that didn't show up for church today because of that truth. Because they lived through this whole weekend going, I know what I'm supposed to do. 
Maybe they were even at the altar last Sunday saying, God, I'm never gonna do that again. But Friday came, Saturday came, and now it's Sunday morning. They're going, I keep doing the thing I'm not supposed to do. I don't deserve to be in God's house. He doesn't want my worship. What right do I have to be there with God's people when I know what to do and I keep doing the things I'm not supposed to do? And this isn't an allegorical story. This is the Apostle Paul being honest. This is a testimony, not a metaphor. He's like, here I am, missionary, struggling with the sinful nature. He says in verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. And this other law is waging a war against the law of my mind. And it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Some of you were here last weekend and you heard Roy give a testimony about how six years ago God delivered it from alcoholism. Like his life and his marriage was, was on a runaway train, but he made a commitment. I am not going to touch a bottle again. But some of you know that the, the reality is that moment, that powerful moment, thank God for it, is only significant because it was followed by six years of intentionally deciding every day to keep that commitment. And so you've had this moment in your life where you made a commitment to Christ. You said, I'm not gonna be that person anymore. And spiritually speaking, in that moment, you were changed. But from that moment, you've had to choose every day who you'll serve. That's the process of sanctification. You know, it only took one day for God to deliver the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, but it took 40 years to deliver Egypt out of them. They had to change their mindset. They had to live in the freedom that they had already received. And so Paul says, I thank God for salvation. But then in the next chapter, he says, I thank God for sanctification. And that's the response to that question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And in the next verse, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, I was delivered at salvation and now I'm being delivered day by day. The third time we see thanks be to God is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is thanks for security, for security. Verse 55, Paul writes, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Next verse, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul makes this incredible boast about death. The, the, the curse of sin is broken. The sting of death has been removed through the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so he declares, thanks be to God for victory over death. 
Can I just remind somebody today, because I'm not naive. I'm not living this, this Christian life with my head in the clouds. I, I don't presume to walk out of the sanctuary on a bed of roses this morning. No, I understand. Like We live in a fallen world, and bad stuff happens to good people. We, we deal with terminal illnesses. We deal with birth defects. We deal with, with, uh, with war and, and, and violence and, and atrocities on every side. I, I get that, but can I just remind every child of God, on your worst day, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. I, can, can I just remind you that this is it. This is as bad as it ever gets for the believer. And sadly... The best day, when everything goes according to plan, when the weather's just right, when you get to do the thing you love to do and eat the food you love to eat, for the lost person, that's as close to heaven as they're ever gonna come. And so, not to dismiss your problems, but, but thanks be to God that on the worst day of my life, I can zoom out and say, I have victory over death. Like, hey, we win. You know, what's the devil going to do? Eat us? I mean, come on. If we die, we're with Jesus. We win. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. So on my worst day, in the worst season of my life, I can keep this thought in my mind that when I breathe my last breath on this earth, in the very next moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I will inhale the glory and the splendor of the majesty of God. That's, thanks be to God for security. And I can know that when I lay my head on my pillow at night. I know that. I have security in my relationship with Jesus. The fourth way that we see this word expressed is thanks be to God for sending us. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul He's writing almost as if it's a journal. He's just just being transparent. He says, now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and I found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and I went to Macedonia. Like, that doesn't sound real spiritual to me. I don't know how that reads to you, but it's like Paul was like, God opened a door, and I'm, I'm going to preach. So I got there. I was really hoping Titus would be there. He said he was coming. Titus wasn't there. I kind of felt alone, so I left. You just said God opened a door. Yeah, but I wasn't feeling it, so I left. Went to Macedonia instead. But Paul realized that even through his maybe selfishness, even, th- even, even through his uncertainty, even through his maybe waffling on the leading of the Lord, that God was taking him right where he was supposed to be the whole time. And so he says this in the next verse, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. What a beautiful picture. Paul says, everywhere we go, we are the fragrance of the knowledge of God. 
That's what we are. And because we are being led as captives, in other words, even when I feel like I've made a mistake, even when I make a selfish decision, even when I don't go through the door I know God opened for me to go through, because I'm captive to his will, he still gets me to the place I'm supposed to be. And when I get there, I'm the aroma of the knowledge of God. Think about that for a moment, friends. You're you're the closest thing to what heaven smells like on the earth. I mean, you think our world is rotten now? Wait till one day after the rapture of the church when the aroma of the knowledge of God is gone from the earth. You wanna talk about a putrid society. Jesus said it a different way. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You think our world is dark now? Wait till one day after the rapture and the light is out. Darkness like we've never known. So Paul looks at his life and haven't always made the right decision. I haven't always gone left when I was supposed to go left. And But I'm captive to Christ. He's sending me. He's, he's got me right where he wants me to be in spite of my foolishness, in spite of my rebellion. He's leading me. He's leading me. Let me tell you the last one and then we're gonna pray. The fifth time we see this phrase, thanks be to God, it's thanks for our Savior. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You try it. I try it every week. It's hard to describe Jesus. He's everything. And Paul, this wordsmith who wrote half the letters in the New Testament just kind of came to this conclusion. He's indescribable. He's an indescribable gift. And he says, thanks be to God for Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Thanks be to God for Jesus. We're about to move into the time of year where we celebrate Jesus coming into the earth. One of the first people that got to lay eyes on him was a prophetess named Anna. As Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus into the temple after his birth to perform the the ceremonial custom, she sees them. Doesn't know them, but she knows this moment. And the Bible says in Luke 2 and 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Thanks be to God. I just, I just want to encourage you here in, in this season of thanksgiving to, to recognize that gratitude is, is more than good manners. Saying thanks is, is more than civility. It's about acknowledging that every good and perfect gift in my life While I can thank you, and I should, I recognize that every good gift has come down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's all His. All created things, all things that live, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And so if if you're loving the fall foliage and the beautiful weather we've had, don't you dare give praise to Mother Nature. She had nothing to do with it. It's the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth. If, you're, if you've got health in your body, don't, don't bless your good genes. 
Thank the one who wrote the genetic code in your DNA. Give him the praise that he's worthy of. And here's my heart today. I think Veterans Day is a great day to remind the church that we ought to lead the way in showing honor. We really should. I mean, you can't leave it to our culture to teach the next generation honor. It's up to God's people now. We ought to lead the way in showing honor to others. But every day, hear this, every day ought to be a day that we model to the world what it looks like to give glory and thanks and praise to the only one who's worthy, to the only one who deserves our praise. To him be the power and the glory, the dominion forever and forever. Amen. He alone is worthy. Let's give him praise today. Right now, our prayer team is going to begin to, to move into place in the front of each section. And, and as we end this service today, I, I just want to, I want to hold your attention in the presence of the Lord for just a moment longer. Because I believe there's, there may be some people in this room today that you, you need to take a moment to declare from your heart, thanks be to God for salvation. For salvation. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've never given your life to the Lord, but this morning you recognize He's calling you. As deep calls out to deep, He's calling you to come to Him, to surrender your life. Maybe you've been away from the Lord for some time. And today, in His presence, as we've declared His word and, and sang in His presence, you, you just have that sense that I gotta give, I gotta get my priorities right. And I don't want to squander this opportunity. If, if that's you today, I want to encourage you to find a prayer partner and just let us come in agreement with you for a moment and say, thanks be to God for my salvation. And for some of you today, you need to just take a moment and say, thanks be to God for sanctification. Because you know he loves you. You know your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, but you're living in a place of frustration saying, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. But he's not up there with a giant eraser taking your name out of the book every time you mess up. And today, it would be so fitting for you to just say, thanks be to God that he still delivers me. Yes, I was delivered, but thanks be to God who delivers me even now. For some of you, maybe you just need to take a moment to say, thanks be to God for my security. Maybe you lived your whole life with that fear. That if I step out of line, if I make one mistake, that, 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 you know, God's going to condemn me. You don't have to live that way, friend. He loves you. Nothing you can do about it. He loves you. And if you've, if you've accepted his invitation to salvation, you can know. You can know that on my worst day, I'm just a moment, I'm a breath away from an eternity in his presence. This is as bad as it's going to get for the believer. And maybe you need to just take a moment and say, God, I thank you. I thank God for my security in Christ Jesus. And, and I, I just believe that even today there are some that you need to take a moment to say, thanks be to God for sending me. Maybe you've been condemning yourself. You, you, you felt God's call at one point and you didn't obey. 
You had an opportunity to serve. You didn't sign up. You didn't do the thing that, that and you could live in a place of self-condemnation or you can say, thanks be to God that I am captive to Christ. And even in my rebellion, even in my selfish decisions, he still gets me where he wants me to be so that I can be the aroma of the knowledge of God to a watching world. And if you want to get back into the place of living your life on mission, would you just take a moment today? Maybe you want to find one of these altars or a prayer partner to say, God, thank you for sending me. Thank you for sending me.